Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, July 25th, we are studying Psalm 127. In today's text, Solomon reminds us that everything we do and have must come from the Lord's blessing, or it is in vain. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. So we get started today, Pastor Preuss. Talk to us just in general about the Psalms. How should we approach the Psalms and receive them as Christians? Well, the Psalms are prayers for the faithful, uh, and they, they have different categories as well. Of course, you know the uh, penitential Psalms, like Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, uh, 102, 43, and this one. Well, anyway, they, uh, so those are obviously asking God for, for forgiveness and, uh, and repenting, showing a contrite heart. Uh, then you have, of course, you have Psalms of Thanksgiving, uh, psalms. And this, this is a psalm of ascent, uh, whatever ascent actually means. Um, about a, like, the, the, the most prolific psalm writer is King David, although we have other psalms. So Moses wrote Psalm 90, and this one is attributed to Solomon. Uh, psalms were written for worship, uh, both corporate worship, so this would have been a psalm presumably sung in the temple. Uh, but also to be sung uh, during uh, your own private uh, devotion. Uh, psalms are personal, so the, the writer has a, a personal so that is David or Solomon or one of the other authors, uh, but they also apply to any of the faithful who will sing them. And they always, uh, they always connect with Jesus as well. Uh, so often a good, a good exercise to do is when you're reading Psalms, say, well, how did the author, what was the author thinking? How, how did this apply to him? Was it David or Solomon, etc.? And then uh, think, well, how does this Psalm, uh, how does it connect to me? Like, what is, what, how does it apply to my life, whether it is praising God, asking God for mercy or help? And then finally... Uh, probably most importantly, uh, how does this connect with Jesus? How does it point to Jesus, or uh, how did Jesus pray the psalm? So, for example, Psalm 22, Jesus famously prayed that from the cross. Uh, Martin Luther has a very helpful, uh, a very helpful devotion on the psalms. Uh, I think CPH published it recently, or maybe a few years ago now, uh, with uh, with the actual psalms in there, although. Martin Luther didn't include it with the text. But what he does is he pretty much attributes each psalm to a petition of the Lord's 
prayer, uh, which is very appropriate because the Psalms are prayers. Mm. And uh, I always teach when I'm teaching the Lord's Prayer that there's nothing that you could ask God for that is not included in the Lord's Prayer. So yeah. many of the, of the Psalms are praying that God's name would be holy among us, that his kingdom would come, that his will be done, uh, that he give us daily bread and forgive us the trespasses, leave supplication, uh, and so forth. So uh, it, I think it's a very good practice for every Christian to recite Psalms every day mm. and, uh, and also to put them to memory. Yeah. yeah. So with those things in mind, Pastor Preuss, talk to us more specifically about Psalm 127, any context you've mentioned already. It's a, a psalm of ascent, and especially it's one of Solomon. Help us with some of that context. Yeah, so uh, it's a psalm, uh, psalm of ascent. Uh, I was reading Martin Luther wrote uh, a letter to, this, to Riga and Lovinia, is that right? Uh, back in 1920 or in 1524, which is a bit uh, Livonia, Livonia, so Riga and Livonia, and uh, he was asked to write a uh, to write a letter to them, and then also devote his theological writing. So he wrote on Psalm 127 uh, because it applies so well to the Christian life, uh, and in it he does mention this ascent and. Uh, that people aren't sure what it means. So he he said that it, it was suggested that it meant to uh, what they would be singing as they're going up the steps of the altar or of, of, to the temple. So the Levites would chant it, uh, chant psalms of ascent as they ascended to the temple. But uh, Luther doesn't think that's right. And then he says talking about pitch, and I don't know. I didn't find anything that he said convincing. So I'm I'm not 100 percent sure what ascent. Uh, is is supposed to mean? Uh, there are lots of psalms of ascent. Maybe you'd be able to help me with someone else. Uh, but anyway, I found that interesting what Luther wrote. Sure. Uh, and then there's the Psalm of Solomon. Uh, we know that Solomon's father is David, who wrote uh, a much larger share of the psalms. Uh, but uh, Solomon, of course, was king for 40 years. He had a very prosperous reign, but he also uh, fell, and his uh, his fall uh, was more destructive to Israel than, than David's fall uh, with his adultery and murder uh, with Bathsheba and Uriah, because Solomon actually set up uh, false uh, altars, the false gods, because of all the wives that he had. Um, so that's kind of something to kind of keep in mind when we do think of Solomon is not only his great wisdom, but also the fall that he had, because mm. I do think that God used that to bring <clears throat> to bring about humility and and wisdom uh, for him. Mm. So that, that's what I guess what I would say about the authorship. Uh, well, and also significantly, I, I guess I can go on more. Uh, Solomon most famously built the temple. Yeah. So uh, the theme here is unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So uh, there's something kind of parallel here. Like, I don't think this psalm is specifically about building the temple. Uh, that would be kind of a narrow way of looking at it. But I definitely think that there that it does parallel it. And uh, so it is a bit of an autobiographical psalm. Um, one of the, the words that's used is he, he says that he gives to his beloved sleep. And when Solomon was born... As recorded in Second Samuel 12, 
the Lord loved Solomon, and uh, so Nathan gave him the name Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. So uh, in this psalm, it, it says that he gives for his beloved, uh, Yedido, which also is the root word for, uh, for David's name. Hmm. Uh, and then also he has this building of the house. So uh, that was Solomon's big project. So I think that's something to keep in mind, too. Yeah, I think the connection to the temple, although that's maybe not the only thing in view, I think it, we need to have it in mind, because I think it will open up the psalm to not only be about the way that the Lord builds the house, the household, the family, but also the way that he is the one who builds the household of faith, the church. And I also think it, it keeps the connection, too, when you think about the the context, not only of, of Solomon, but of, of David, when he desired to build the house of the Lord, there in Second Samuel chapter seven, the Lord said to him, "Actually, David, I'm going to build a house for you," referring to the promise of the Christ there. And so I think that again, keeping those things in mind, I think will will open up this psalm even more as as we read it here. So, Psalm 127. Yeah. Here's the text: A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless is the Lord unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. That's the text for today. That's Psalm 127. Pastor Price, give us the, the bird's eye view of this psalm. Is there a structure that we should keep in mind? What's the, the general overall themes found in the psalm? Well, uh, it's a very short psalm. Sure. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, he starts out with some Beatitudes. Blessed is the man. Uh, uh, blessed. No, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong one. Uh, he starts out uh, with uh, the main thought, which is, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And looking at Luther's letter, he spends the majority of his writing on that one half verse, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build the paper in vain. So that sets up what we should be thinking of uh, throughout this psalm. Uh, and uh, I, I guess, I don't know if you want me to get into that already, but it, it, you, you, people probably would hear that, that statement and know exactly what it means. But it is important to know what it means for uh, unless the Lord builds a house. What does it mean to build a house? Uh, sure, yeah, so go, this, go ahead and just a, take us right into that. Yeah, okay. So this isn't just like a narrow lesson. I mean, you'd assume that it wouldn't be, since it's a, it's a Bible lesson, so there's always a more broad uh, lesson there. But uh, it's not just simply talking about building a building. So the, the Hebrew word for build is banah. Uh, and it can also mean to establish uh, or even to maintain. So, uh, for example, in uh, Genesis 30, verse 3, Rachel gives Bilhah to Jacob, and she says, and I too might have children from her. Well, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say I might have children. It says uh, that... Ibana, which means 
and I will build from her. So uh, it's the same verb to build a house, but she's not talking about a house, but she's talking about building a family. Uh, and it's not just simply the talk of, of building, but also maintaining. And then in Exodus one twenty one, the word for house, ba'is, uh, it doesn't only mean a building, although it does, and it can refer to the temple, as we mentioned, the, the temple that Solomon built, but uh, it can mean a household. So in Exodus one twenty one, the midwives who bear the Hebrew sons, God blesses them and, establish, and, and establishes a ba'yiz, which is a, a house. He establishes a household for them, which implies he gives them uh, children and blesses their, their household. So uh, unless the Lord builds the house, we shouldn't think of it so narrowly as building a structure, although that obviously uh, that, that's true. But it's the, the establishing and the maintaining and the running of a household. And I think that's very important to remember as we look at, as we look at, the, at worry and anxiety. Because this is really what this psalm is about, is don't worry. Don't be anxious. Uh, you know, consider the birds of the air. They neither, you know... Uh, so no reason to gather into barns that you have not father feast them. Like this is really the structure, the uh, the theme of the psalm. Uh, Luther paraphrases this verse. He writes, "Unless the Lord keeps the house, uh, the household management there is a lost cause." So it's much more than just simply getting a building built, but uh, establishing and maintaining a household. So talk more about the psalm and what it's saying about worry and anxiety. You mentioned Matthew 6 already. Dig more into that with this verse. Yeah. So uh, Luther explains that, that that this psalm is about coveting, pride, and worry. And he, says we ha- he, he makes an interesting statement where he says you have to separate labor uh, from, you know, the, 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 from your the goods that you have as far as, you know, the East is from the West, things like that. Uh, and we think that we work, and then our work produces something. Uh, this, and I even mentioned this in a sermon recently, where God curses us. He curses man and says, you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. So we think, well, it must be the sweat of our brow that produces our bread. Well, that's not so. I mean, God provides for those who cannot work. And it doesn't matter how hard you work if God doesn't bless you. I mean, you can plant the fields, uh, you can use the proper seed and do everything you need to do. But if God doesn't send the rain, or if he sends too much rain, or if he doesn't send enough sun, or whatever it is, uh, it's not going to produce. Uh, so we are dependent on God. Here's a great quote that I found from Luther. He writes, does the labor of man do this? Meaning all the, the things that we receive in he says, to be sure, labor, no doubt, finds it, but God has first to bestow it and put it there if labor is to find it. But then he goes on to say that we must understand that all our labor is nothing more than the finding and collecting of God's 
yet. Mm. So unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I mean, David could have built the temple. I mean, he had the materials. He had the men. He had the expertise. There's no human reason why uh, David couldn't have built a temple just as good as Solomon could. But God said no. Uh, and David, because he had faith, uh, agreed with God. Uh, and, th- and this is a constant theme throughout Scripture, that we trust in God to provide for us and don't simply trust in our own labor. Uh, Psalm 147 says, He gives to all flesh their food and to the young ravens which cry unto him, which of course we, as Jesus uh, brings that out in Matthew 6. Uh, and then uh, Psalm 104, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. So both of those, actually, Luther includes in the, in the uh, meal prayers in small catechism. So this is a constant theme throughout Scripture, that we recognize that all of our good gifts come from God, and it's not our own labor that grants them. And this, this goes beyond just our physical needs. It goes into the Church. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is admonishing the Corinthians because they are being divisive, and some are saying that they belong to Apollos, others say that they belong to uh, Paul, and Paul says, well, I mean, uh, if God, I planted Apollos, or I uh, sticks, I planted Apollos water, but God gives the growth. So it doesn't matter. Uh, we shouldn't be trusting in our own work. We shouldn't be thinking because I succeed. So if we stick with pastors, for example, if your church grows, you shouldn't be proud thinking, well, I've done this work. And just like if your church is shrinking, you shouldn't then automatically conclude that uh, God has abandoned you. Uh, so we, we want to be careful, and this is in the, the household as well. If you're a father or a mother, if you are raising your kids, uh, if you're working your job or whatever it is, you want to guard against pride, thinking that you've given yourself all these things. And you also want to guard against despair, which is uh, the lack of faith and believing that God hasn't actually given you or, or doesn't care about you. So, and both of these uh, deal with faith in, in Christ. Uh, are we? Do we actually believe that God is going to take care of us and love us, or not. Hmm. Uh, Luther has another quote where he says, thus, this whole evangelical verse, is what he means by verse is just this half verse here, is masterful fashion, in masterful fashion sets forth faith as against that accursed covetousness and concern for the belly, which today, alas, everywhere hinders the fruit of the gospel. Hmm. So whether you are a poor man who uh, has to is despairing that God cares for you, or whether you're a rich man who thinks that you get that you yourself have given you all yourself all these things, uh, you are you are neglecting the truth that God is the one who provides for you. That he is the one who cares for you. So faith should be set before all of these things when you go to work, when you raise your children, when you find a wife or a husband to marry, uh, when you go to school. Uh, when you go to work as a pastor, or whatever your task is in life, uh, you should recognize that God alone is the one who grants success, 
Uh, he's the one who provides for you, who cares for you. He knows where your food and clothing and all the things you need and want in this life are going to come from. Uh, so it's very foolish and unfaithful to think that we ourselves are the ones who, who give ourselves these things. Uh, and we should uh, always remember that unless the Lord builds the house or plants or waters or disciplines the children or teaches them or marries or whatever it is, uh, then whoever does these things does them in vain. So then that's the, the image of the first half of the verse, and then the the parallel in the second half is not a matter of, of building a house, but rather watching over a city. Take us into to that image. What does that add to this verse? Yeah, you know, I've said, I've prayed this psalm and recited it many times, and I always just kind of looked at this as just a parallel, you know, because parallelisms are, are pretty frequent in the psalms, and they just kind of, you know, are emphasizing but uh, what Luther says is that what, what uh, the psalmist says about the house, which would refer to the household, he now says for the city or for the municipality or dominion or kingdom or, or any other group of people. Uh, so he goes from house, which is very, you know, very small as a singular family uh, or something like that, a family group to a larger group. And I think that's uh, certainly true. I mean, I, I think that uh, what goes for the household uh, also goes for the congregation. It also goes for the city, the nation. Uh, and we should should think that way. Uh, obviously, in our daily lives, we should recognize when you go to work, when you teach your children, when you dress them, when you do whatever you do in your, your life, that you should be trusting that God is going to take care of you. you know, I walk with Jesus all the way. Uh, but we should also remember that as we run our congregations. And how often do even congregations forget that uh, when they worry about their budget at their voters' meetings, uh, when the pastor and the elders get together and they talk about the issues that are confronting their congregation? Uh, and then how often do we deal with that in, uh, the, in the nation? So uh, recently I was driving uh, back from a, a short little camping trip, and uh, we were going by the Des Moines capital. Well, we were uh, driving, driving past Des Moines. And uh, the legislature was meeting, because our governor had called a special session to vote on the six-week abortion bill. And uh, I was thinking, do we, do we take the kids down there to the capital? I don't know what it looks like, and I don't even know if what's going on there, uh, and we're all, of course, you know, we're in our dirty camp, camp clothes. And, uh, and then we got onto the highway kind of without thinking, and I thought, should we drive back? Uh, and then I said, you know what, we're just going to pray. And we just prayed that God would guide the legislature and uh, the governor and, and make sure that people are safe and, and do his will. And, and he did. I mean, they, they, uh, they did vote for the six-week uh, this heartbeat bill, this, this abortion ban, right. which, uh, of course, is good and it protects, protects babies. So it, it goes for the government as well. When we vote, when we think about our politics, we should be praying that God would do his will. Uh, all that being said, I think there is something in addition to it just simply being a broader sense than the first half of the verse. There is something about watching. Uh, you know, a father watches. Right? So if you're at a playground and you have small children, you know who the other adults are in 
the playground kind of instinctively, right? Um, as your children go to school, as they're getting educated, uh, you're watching, you're seeing their progress. You kind of know how they're doing. And then pastors, of course, are watchmen, as the prophets before them were. Uh, they are watching the people, they're watching God's Word, they're teaching. Uh, so again, I, I think it's uh, another aspect, too, is beyond the maintenance and building and establishing, there's also this watching. And what does watching lead to? It leads to worry. So, I mean, how many pastors worry about problems instead of praying about them? Uh, how many parents do that? Uh, so again, it, it brings us back to do not worry, because your worrying isn't going to establish anything. Your worrying isn't going to keep anyone safe. Uh, but if the Lord cares about it, if he's the one watching, uh, then there will be safety and there will be success and God's will will be done. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Such, a, such an important thing for us to keep in mind as Christians because we are prone to worry. So we have Psalm 127 to help us with that. We have the words of our Lord Jesus and the Gospels to help us with that, that we might put our trust in him as we do the work that he has given, not thinking that it is all about us and our labor, but rather knowing that the Lord is the one who is laboring, the one who is building, the one who is watching on our behalf, and we can trust in him. We're going to keep talking more about Psalm 127 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor James Preuss this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, July 25th. We're studying Psalm 127 with Pastor James Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we've been talking about how the Lord takes away worry. He keeps our hearts from worrying by assuring us that he is the one who is building our households, who's watching over us. Solomon continues in this same vein, talking about vanity in verse 2. He says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. How does this add to what we were saying earlier? Well, one, it uh, again connects to Solomon personally, and I kind of think that he, uh, I mean, that's obviously the Holy Spirit's the one who, who caused Solomon to write this. But uh, I think it is a bit autobiographical, as I said before in uh, 2 Samuel 
12, Solomon is named Solomon by David, but the Lord uh, has Nathan add another name to him, which is Jedidiah, which means uh, beloved of the Lord. And here, uh, the beloved, his beloved is uh, Le Yedido, so Le's four, and then the O at the end is his. So Yedid is beloved, his beloved one. So he kind of has his name there, for he gives to his beloved belief. And you can imagine Solomon building the temple, being an immense amount of work. I and mean, you read it in the Bible, and, you know, it's, you know, he talks about all these massive amounts of, of material, material being presented, and the dimensions, all these other things. Uh, but, I mean, that would have been a tremendous amount of work. Uh, it took years to, to build. It probably was a lot of stress. Uh, it, the Bible doesn't give us every, you know, every bit of information that happened during, during those years. Uh, and this is probably something that Solomon had to actually put into practice, where he rose up early, you know, before, uh, before the sun came, and went to bed late, uh, laboring over this project, uh, being anxious about things going, going right, and yet it was the Lord who was the one who actually uh, builds it. Now, when Luther translates that, he, he says that he gives to his beloved while sleeping, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting, and you know my Hebrew isn't as, as maybe it's not as good as yours. Well, I have been working on it, and uh, so I was looking at it and I was thinking, well, how does how does that work? And I suppose I don't know. You have uh, Shana, Shana, which is uh, sleep. So maybe that could be like a, a a participle, like while sleeping or sleeping. So he gives to his beloved sleeping. Yeah, I, I've seen that. I've seen that alternate translation as well, which I, I do think is intriguing. That that is it is it the Lord's giving to His beloved the gift of sleep, or is He giving to His beloved while they are sleeping? I think yeah. both of them are true biblically, which is being conveyed here is is intriguing to think about. If it is the one the way that Luther goes, you know, while they're sleeping, isn't that the way Jesus talks in? I think it's Mark four. The, and I, I forget what this parable is usually called, but the farmer sows his seed and then it grows while he's asleep, even though he doesn't know how that works. A similar thought could be going on here. Yeah, that that actually works really well. And the more I think of it, it kind of convinces me of that. Um, and then uh, also Solomon, he has a dream, right? And the Lord yeah. appears to him in a dream and uh, and he gives all these things in his dream. And what what does the, what does Solomon go to bed thinking of? Because when the Lord says, you know, I love you, and I want to give you something, uh, Solomon says, you know, I'm a child, and there's this great number of people, and I don't know how to rule them. So you can kind of imagine him going to sleep anxious, and then in his sleep, like he probably stayed up late planning all these things, and then in his sleep, the Lord says, I'm going to give you all of these things. Um, but I think also, I mean, we... It is true. I mean, we, we mix things up in our mind because we get the cause and the result. I mean, if you're, tr- if you're uh, having difficulty sleeping, you know, it's probably a bad idea to jump into taking pills or whatever. Uh, pro- a good thing to do is to exercise more and to work harder and to earn your sleep, right? Um, but uh, then again, you should also remember that it's the Lord who grants sleep. So I could see either way. Uh, I think they're both true, uh, but I think the, uh, the the point is it is drawing us away from our labor, 
and just considering our own labor and drawing us to think more that the Lord is the one who provides for us. So this verse is uh, against worrying, it's against anxiety. Uh, the Lord will take care of both the household and he will watch over the city uh, uh, of those who have faith. Uh, Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. First Peter 5, 7, which I think is directly toward uh, towards pastors. He says, cast, though it applies to everyone, cast your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. Uh, Proverbs fifteen seventeen says, uh, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than uh, a fatted ox and hatred with it. So again, this whole striving after wealth instead of being content with what the Lord gives you. So this goes against worrying, it goes against anxiety, and it goes against covetousness. Uh, it's kind of interesting, like, each one of these verses can kind of stand on its own as a proverb uh, to, to remember and to, to keep in mind. Oh, abs- absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, I think on the one hand, too, this, this verse also then allows us to receive work as a gift, because it's, you know, you rise up early and go to go late to rest as as if you know your work is something more than a than a gift of God. He he gave you the day, do the work that he's given you as as a gift. And then when that gift is replaced by the gift of sleep, then then receive that gift. And I mean so I think it you know it, it helps us to it helps us again to avoid the worry and the anxiety but then also to keep work in its proper place as a gift from God, that I, I get to do these things according to the vocation that he's given me, and here's the time he's given me to do it, so I'm going to work hard at it while I have that that day, and then when the night comes, I'm going to rest, knowing that that rest is a gift from God, and he's still working while I'm sleeping. Like Psalm, Psalm 121, yeah. he doesn't sleep, so I can rest at night knowing he's at work. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, I read... Uh... I've read the story Bible, you know, the CPH story Bible to my kids several times and, you know, all the arch books and such. And I found this uh, Bible story book in the church's library that was from some other denomination. So I thought, oh, this would be nice. It's different illustrations, and I'll read it. I was reading to the kids, but they weren't really good. And uh, one of the things they did, like, right there in Genesis, said that uh, before the fall, they didn't have to work. I'm like, well, that's not true. Yeah. Before the fall, God put, before he even created Eve, God put Adam into the garden to work it. The work is a gift. Uh, the curse was added to it. And we'll talk about another thing that a curse was added to. But it doesn't make the thing itself a curse. Work isn't a curse. Uh, the labor that goes with it is the curse. But the actual good work that God blesses is good. Just like there's a curse added to childbearing. But that doesn't mean that children themselves are a curse. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but they, they're still a gift. So with that thought in mind, children are a gift. We come to verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Help us into this verse. Yeah, so uh, I had to look this up. L- Luther wrote his letter to Riga and Livonia uh, in 1524. He got married in June of 1525. So I think he might have written more uh, if this were after 1525, after he got married and had children. Because uh, he doesn't say as much uh, about it. Uh, he says that some are very eager and anxious to have children, but they do not conceive, while others 
who have given the matter a little thought to get a full a house full of children. But he just kind of looks at this as you know this is just the most it, 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 this is just the epitome of things that are out of our control and everyone should recognize it that the most basic thing of a household is to have children. And he says, well, you can't and you can't give yourself children. You know, God bestows his gift overnight, they say, and it is literally true, uh, the quote from Luther. So uh, we can't just make children, although I think many people disagree with that. They think that we can, uh, but, but we really can't. God is the one who creates children, and he's the one who gives them to us. And if you can't even do that, which is the most fundamental part of building a household, then why do you think that you're going to... Uh, give yourself anything else. But this uh, this verse is very relevant to our culture uh, and to our church body, uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Um, I was looking at uh, a, a delegate this year, and I was looking at uh, the statistics that they were, they were sending out, although I think they're sending them out to everyone. But we have, it's, it's like under 18, it's under 1.8 million. Uh, baptized members in the Missouri Synod, uh, significantly less than, you know, when I was a child. Uh, so we're shrinking. Um, America's birth rate, along with the birth rate of all uh, all Western countries, is very low. It's below replacement rate. I think it's replacement rate is like 2.1, and we're at 1. whatever it is. Uh, so, I mean, this is something that is, and it's not healthy, even non-Christians, are addressing this and saying, hey, there's something up, uh, and this isn't good for us. We can't just have less children than, you know, so that we have less people in each generation. Um, and for the church especially, I think it's a significant thing, because part of the reason why we're shrinking um, is that we aren't bringing in new members. Well, one of the ways, it's not the only way for sure, which we should be evangelizing. But one of the ways that we grow the church is through children, children being born. Uh, and this is something that's just obvious. I mean, uh, in the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Well, how can they be brought to him if they're not born? In Malachi 2, after he uh, lambasts the people of Israel for divorcing their wives, he says, and what was the one God seeking from your union, godly offspring. Hmm. So, uh, and of course, the first command God ever gave was, and blessing, was be fruitful and multiply. So children uh, throughout Scripture are always given as a blessing from God, and specifically to the Church. Uh, Jesus says, you know, unless one turn become like a little child, he will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, children are the, the most the most joyful thing to evangelize to a child, to teach a child the gospel. They're the most receptive to it. Uh, but our culture has, by and large, rejected children as a blessing, and they've looked at them as uh, as a burden, uh, as, even as a commodity. And uh, we look at when to have children, how many children to have the way we look at, you know, whether we're going to get a dog or not, or whether we're going to get a second car or have one car, whether we want to live in a 
ranch-style house here, a two-story house, and uh, with technology and and uh, you know and, and, and different things that people can do these days, we can't buy into it that we're in control of everything, and we've really pushed God aside. Uh, and this is a really hard thing because it's something that I think our church needs to come to terms with because I think uh, the members of Lutheran Church Missouri City congregations have been much more influenced by American culture than what the Bible teaches on this uh, for the past several generations. And people will say things like, well, um, you know, we thought we were done or it wasn't the right time or things like that. Um, and the it becomes just kind of cliche, the things that they just kind of say, buzzwords. But it isn't actually, well, what does God's Word actually say? And of course, I mentioned earlier, there's a curse to this, which makes it very sensitive. God said to the woman, you know, in pain you will bring forth children. So uh, there's there's that whole thing, too, uh, which makes I think people uncomfortable talking about it, because how does a man tell a woman who... Uh, who has to bring forth children in great pain, uh, that she should be open to them. So, and I also think that this, this brings about a problem because, you know, we're a pro-life church. We're against abortion because it kills children. But we've already given in uh, with one of the premises, which is that children are a legitimate problem that you would want to avoid having. So we shouldn't just simply be pro-life in the sense that we don't want to kill children who have already been conceived, but we should want children. We should think that the Bible says they're a blessing. They're a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Uh, the next psalm, which is a kind of a twin psalm to this one, Psalm 128, is blessed. Uh, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who, who fears the Lord. So uh, we should not remove children from marriage. We should not look at children as uh, a commodity or as a, a burden or as a curse. But we should look at children as a wonderful blessing. Uh, and the preventing having children, uh, well, obviously, I mean, uh, before before marriage, people, you know, they should abstain from having sex. But uh, the preventing of children should be something that is thought of very seriously. It should be a, uh, a last resort. It should not be the default position. Um, mm. Advice I was, I was given when I first got married from someone who went to church with me was wait a couple years before you had kids. Uh, that's bad advice. People shouldn't tell young people to get married that. Uh, if you're not ready to have children, you shouldn't get married. And I have close friends who, if they had followed that advice, would have zero children. So you don't know when God's going to bless you with children. Yeah. You don't know whether he'll bless you with children. Uh, and I think that we shouldn't be so arrogant to think that we know better than God, but that we should welcome them. And there's another thing to this, too. Even if you think, well, I'm going to... Because it's, it's not about the numbers, necessarily. Uh, even if you have the attitude, well, I like kids, so I'll have like, you know, three or four of them. But that's how you think, because I can afford them. That mentality is going to teach your children to be materialist. You don't have children because you can afford them. You don't have children because this is your, it works within your lifestyle. Um, children are a 
gift from God that are given to you by God. They're not so, uh, something that is just your, your decision. And I think uh, we as Christians should break our thinking away from, uh, from the way the world thinks and look at how God, God talks of this. Uh, to, to what you were saying about you know the advice you were given about waiting to have children, and and then, I mean, this is one of those things that it, in my premarital counseling with couples, I I will tell them, you know, there's there are many people who who treat fertility as a switch that can be turned on and off at will, and to that advice that you were given, many couples have tried to turn it off, and they've discovered much to their their great sadness later that it doesn't get turned back on all the time. And I mean, just, it goes to show that the Lord has great wisdom and joy for us in his word. And we always do better when we listen to it and receive what he has for us as gifts, rather than thinking we know better than him how to control things. Well, and one thing too, um, you know, Jesus says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And yet, nobody seems afraid to take on more money. Uh, it, knowing that, and all your listeners know that, uh, if you were to say to them, would you like to receive an extra $100,000 a year or an extra million dollars a year? I don't think a single one of them would say no. Hmm. Everyone thinks, yes, I could handle that. I could handle that temptation. I could handle that risk. Uh, uh, of, of all that money. And yet, mo- so many people will uh, say that they can't handle, uh, you know, the, the children, which God says are a blessing. So we, we do, we get our priorities mixed, mixed up. And as my dad said, you know, God gives you children to smash your idols, and they literally will do that. Sometimes they'll actually smash things in your house that might be your idols. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're scratch your car. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh man! Wow, you know the, the, you're right, Pastor Price. There's there's so much here for us to learn in our context today. And and again, just to receive these words from God as the gift that He intends them to be. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of a womb of the womb a reward. And then as as Solomon continues, I think that the imagery only adds to what he's said so far. He starts talking about arrows in the hand of a warrior. How does how does that add to this image and, and only again enhance the gift that, that God's giving in children? Well what Luther does, and he kind of switches uh, you know, you're supposed to keep antecedents and reference stuff. So he kind of just switches uh, to talking about young men. But anyway, uh, the gist of what he gets to is these arrows are in the hands of the Lord. Uh, mm. and he's putting them to you. The, the, keeping with the theme here, God is the builder, God is the watchman, God is the one who, who gives you restful sleep and gives you success in your, your rest uh, and in your work. And he is the one who can take your children, have them in his hand to use them. So I think that's another thing, too, is recognizing, like, think of Hannah, who wept crying and praying for a child. And what did she do immediately when God gave her that child? She gave him to the Lord. Well, all of our children are the Lord's. And we as Christians should think of our children as arrows in the hand of God, Mm. for him to use as he will uh, 
And uh, I think when we think of it that way, we're like, well, if they're in God's hands, then they're in they're in good hands. Mm. I, I like that. I like that a lot, Pastor Preuss. I mean, I think that's just a fantastic way of, of adding to what's being said there. At the same time, I do think there is a sense that the you know the man who fills his quiver with them, there is also the you know this is a blessing to the to the man who receives this gift from God as well. But man, that's a, that's a fantastic thought that God is the warrior who holds onto our children and and uses them for His glory and and to bless us as well. Well, yeah, and what's interesting is the word there for man. It's not the normal name word that we are familiar with, like Ish or Adam, but it's uh, it's Gavor. So it's like a man, a strong man, a warrior. Yeah. Uh, so he's, he's happy with these. But yeah, uh, to fill your quiver with them. In fact, there was a Facebook group once upon a time. I'm not on Facebook. It was called Quiverful Lutherans, and they were kind of promote, supporting and promoting uh, that mindset. But it is, I think, a very important thing to think about. And it all comes together with the whole building of the household, that we recognize what we think the household should look like may not be what God thinks. And we pray, thy will be done. Well, thy will, we're not praying, let my will be done. God, grant me my wildest dreams. That's not what we pray. We pray, thy will be done. Uh, and when we think that way, then we let God's, God form our will. And I mean, people aren't going to say, well, I wish I didn't have these children who love me and confess Christ with me and are going to be with me until I die. Uh, people don't, of course, there's tragedies happening and such, but uh, God's smarter than us. He knows how to bless us better than we know how to bless ourselves. Just as your child is, would happily eat candy all day and get sick, you, but you bless your child by giving him healthy food and teaching him and doing all the things, even the things he might not want to do, uh, you're blessing him. Talk to us about the the last part of verse 5. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What does that mean? Well, I think I've thought about this. One, uh, uh, going back a little bit, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Look at this. I think it's, no, they will not be put to shame. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know why the ESV does that. It says he will not be put to shame, but it's they mm. will not be put to shame uh, when they speak to their enemies in the gate. I don't know. Well, anyway, I, I think this really brings it all back. It brings it all back together um, that uh, God is the one who is establishing everything. You're trying to maintain a household. You're trying to maintain a uh, watching over a city or whatever it is. Uh, when you trust in the Lord, you're not going to be put to shame. When you speak the truth, you can't be shamed. And what we have to understand is, who puts us to shame? I mean, was Jesus put to shame when they mocked him and said, if you are the Christ, come down from there? Well, he says that that was him being glorified. So, and St. Peter tells us that even if you are persecuted for righteousness, that you are blessed. So when we trust in the Lord, we're not going to be put to shame. And I think this also does, uh, it, it connects with children. I mean, when you have children whom you have taught the gospel, uh, whom you have taught to be faithful, then uh, they stand as witnesses of 
of the, the of your faith and of of the good work that God has given you to do. Um, I, I think we always need to be careful of pride. Uh, and, and Jesus says, unless you know, whoever does not hate his father and mother, son, daughter, etc., is not worthy of me. So we can't love our children more than God. That is the danger that people have with larger families as they start worshiping their children. But uh, there is, there is, I think godly, godly glory. I don't know uh, when you have, there are godly blessings that God gives when you have a Christian family and they have their Christian children, and even if the world maligns them, it does all sorts of evil against them. They have these witnesses of the truth with them, and they're not put to shame. Uh, so I think there's something there too. Pastor Brooks, we've got about two minutes left. Help us to wrap things up on, on Psalm 127. What should we take from this psalm as Christians? Cast all your burdens on the Lord, for he cares for you, uh, and trust in him. Uh, no matter how hard you work, if the Lord is not working with you, then your work will not succeed. But if you trust in the Lord, then you will succeed. And, uh, and this goes not just, this isn't just a cliche that you hear on Sunday morning, but this is something that we should live our whole life. Uh, that bana, that Hebrew verb bana, to build, this is something that every single Christian is doing at all times. You are establishing and you are making and you are working. And you cannot succeed if God doesn't work with you. And that uh, noun, ba'it, which means house, that household. Uh, that is uh, more than just having a two-car garage and a 2,000-square-foot house. Uh, this is talking about the welfare of your children, in body and in soul. So if you want your children to confess Christ until their dying days and to uh, and go to heaven uh, and to have a, a good and fruitful life, then you need to start by trusting in the Lord uh, and turning to His Word. Uh, so that I mean, that's what I have to say about about that. <clears throat> I, I think the children topic is a huge one too, yeah. uh, because I think that we as a church body need to change the way we think. It's starting. There are a lot of people who are more thinking that way, but we need a lot of people to change their minds because this is a symptom of not trusting in the Lord and being materialist. And this psalm is against materialism, and it is for trusting that God will provide for you from his uh, abundant and gracious hand. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. He has been helping us today to study Psalm 127. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much. Children are a heritage from the Lord. He is the one who builds the house, who watches over our families, who watches over us, who uses our children for his glory. Dear Christians, receive the gifts of God with thanksgiving. Do not worry. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Psalm 127, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.